I am Jay Christian Adams. This is the podcast Protecting Your Vote. I'm president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. And in this podcast, we talk about what's going on with election administration, election integrity, and how your right to vote is made secure by some good people and made less secure by some not so good people. Joining me today is West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you, Christian. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for coming. I, I got to tell the audience, uh, I, and I will say this with absolute candor, you're like one of the best two secretaries of state in the country, <laughs> and I'm not sure who the other one is. That's the line I use. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, and and what brought you to the secretary of state's job. Well, appreciate the question. It's a uh, I have a history of a, from a military family. I was, did a career in the military myself, went to the military academy uh, at West Point. And uh, coming out of that, I, I was both a lawyer, uh, prosecutor, and defense counsel. Then I went into international law. Uh, so that took me to a lot of spots around the world, a lot of hot spots, Haiti, Bosnia, Peru, Panama, uh, Ukraine, you name it. Um, and so that exposed me to a lot of different systems, failed systems, you know, governments that didn't work. And then I saw some governments that did work. I was in Germany a number of years and that sort of thing. So um, coming out of the retirement from the military, uh, I had four children and all of them served in the military. We all had trouble voting at one time or another. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you're going to start to see melding into this uh, Secretary of State job, and um, the the Gulf War uh, was raging when I was at the University of Virginia getting a master's degree in international law, and that got me into Islamic law. Uh, in fact, I taught uh, comparative mm -hmm. law, which is really pretty much comparative religion when you get into it because the legal systems are based on right. people's religious beliefs. Um, and, and so I'd studied Islam and taught it, but I'd never lived in an Islamic country. So when my son was over fighting in Afghanistan and then my daughter went, I wanted to understand more about what we were doing over in Afghanistan. Signed up with the State Department and I went over there and I took over the world's largest rule of law program. We were trying to implement a court system in this uh, Islamic country. Um, and I, we could talk about that. I think we failed with the Article One section one of their constitution when they said uh, Afghanistan will be an Islamic Republic. And right there, it uh, when you put in an Islamic system over top of what we think of a constitutional system, the two don't mesh. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think it was failed. Uh, it was a poison pill, pill from right from the outset. But so I ran this world's largest rule law program with the U.S. or the uh, I'm sorry, the Afghan Supreme Court, the Ministry of Justice, the Attorney General's Office, and the Ministry of Women's Affairs. Those were the four agencies I was responsible of giving advice to. So I had over 100 Afghan lawyers and interpreters that worked in each one of those ministries. Uh, so it was a very uh, enlightening experience to work with that um, range of jobs, setting up courts, uh, teaching defense counsel how to be defense counsel, prosecutors how to prosecute, judges how to you know, try to maintain a balance between the two. And actually, we physically went in and set up court systems in a number of places. I sure hope you have a chance to talk to Christy McCormick on the EAC because she worked on the rule of law program in Iraq. Okay, She was doing something similar. So, when she was the Justice Department, she went over to Iraq to set up the courts and the elections. So it's, and, it, and it's quite challenging. It is. So I was there for a total of five years. Uh, had both my son and daughter and then a niece and some other relatives that went through Afghanistan at the time. Uh, so you can imagine how disheartened right. I was to see right. the way we pulled out of there, which is another story. Uh, but what left took me out of there and into the world of politics back in West Virginia was the murder of a woman named Farkunda. And it's on YouTube if anyone wants to look at it. But uh, it was a brutal murder, a slaying of a young woman who was simply standing up against 
the wrongful selling of amulets. It's, it's akin to uh, what happened in the Catholic Church with the selling of indulgences and so forth that led to the Reformation. Um, but in the Islamic world, when she said that this was an improper use of trying to take advantage of the poor people, uh, they accused her of burning a page of the Quran. And with that, then it brought on wow. people. This is downtown Kabul that I passed every day. Uh, and they tens of thousands, or at least thousands, maybe tens of thousands of men cheering this murder on. Mm -hmm. They then tied her to a car, drug her through the streets, and burned her body in the Kabul River. And I've, I'd been there for five years at that point. I said, if this is still going yeah. on after we've been there five years, it's time to get out. I called uh, the guy, Bill Cole, that was running for governor, uh, the Republican candidate in West Virginia. He said, why don't you be my secretary of state? So I left Afghanistan, came back, got right into politics. I won. He didn't. And then I won re-election in 2020. So that's what got me into this world of politics. So this was 2016. You won your your first term. I did. 2016. Yes. Um, I can tell you that I, I've been watching this election uh, administration issue since I was in the Justice Department when you were in Afghanistan. Right. And one thing I always noticed in the early part of that decade, while you still may have been in Afghanistan, was the mess in West Virginia, <laughs> yes, right? It was. I mean, you would look up counties like Mingo and Logan, and for those of you not from West Virginia, that's down toward Kentucky, and there would be percentages on the voter rolls like 150, 140 percent, as if there was never any NVRA, as if there was never any list maintenance, and so you encountered that when you got to the office. Now, what happened with the NVRA in 1993 is they said we're going to register everybody, give them a chance to register at the DMV, which is fine. That's one thing. But the other half of that was you're supposed to do list maintenance, and that is review those lists every two years and go through the national change of address system and so forth. And that wasn't getting done in West Virginia. They were signing people up, but they weren't taking names off. So people who had died, who became convicted felons, duplicates, those the, the poll book just kept growing and growing and growing. And what you're alluding to was brought to the attention of many of us by Judicial Watch, where they started suing some counties and states that had more registered voters than they actually had people living in those counties. And we had six of those in West Virginia. And that's what I was facing when I came into office. I beat a two-term incumbent uh, Democrat backed by George Soros, and they weren't interested in cleaning up the voter rolls. They just wanted those rolls as packed as, as much as they could. And so uh, I was actually pulled aside by some clerks, and this is both Republicans and Democrats. The Democrat clerks wanted these rolls clean. They don't like the bloated rolls. So this was a bipartisan issue of let's clean up these elections in West Virginia. And that's why they got behind me. It's why I got elected. So as we came into office, that was the focal point of working with the 55 county clerks. And we started knocking off those counties that had those more uh, registered voters and actual live people. Since I've been in office, we've taken off over 365,000 names from the voter registration list. And this is out of 1.1 million registered voters. So it's about one in four. Now, you notice I said names. These aren't people. These aren't live right. people. These are just names that needed to come off the list. And what it does, you then start getting more accurate accounting of how many people are actually voting. Um, and... You, you reduce those opportunities for fraud and irregularities to occur. It, nothing good comes out of a bloated role. So today we have zero counties that have more registered voters than you do uh, people living there. We have the cleanest voter rolls in election history, and we have the highest confidence in our elections. We're getting much more turnout uh, based on people's confidence in the elections. I think what you just did is a great lesson for folks about language because you talked about 
names coming off rolls, not voters coming off rolls. If right. they're voters, they don't come off the rolls. You talked about cleaning the rolls. You didn't talk about purging the rolls, exactly. right? And, and these are important things because what you're doing is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I, I think it's important for folks to realize that. Do you ever, you, I first sent your predecessor letters in about 2012, 2013 about these counties. Do you have any sense as to why they seem to cluster in one part of the state? Is there any, did you ever learn anything about that or were these just bad clerks? No, no. Well, the, there's a history there in Southern West Virginia, the 1960 election where yeah. John Kennedy uh, took the election from Hubert Humphrey. Hubert Humphrey was leading in these other states and it looked like he was heading towards the Democrat nominee for president. And they looked, there was an issue then at the time as to whether the America would vote for a Catholic for president. John Kennedy was Catholic. And so they looked out what elections were yet to come and they saw this white Protestant West Virginian said, if he can win there, then that'll take this Catholic issue off the board. But the way you win in Southern West Virginia is you buy votes. And that's whether it's money, liquor, or arm twisting, or jobs with the school board, that sort of thing. That's all run by the county commissions, local politicians. And there were crime bosses. And I'm telling you this, there are books that have been written right. on it where people bragged about it. They, they admit that this is what they did. And uh, John Kennedy's dad sent him bags full of money, literally, and they bought the election, stole it from Hubert Humphrey in the Democratic primary. And after they did it there, they then went to Illinois and did it bigger time. Uh, but so I'm, what I'm answering is there's this history of corruption in southern West Virginia in the coal fields, basically, right, right. Um, where the votes could be bought. And uh, that's what I've been fighting. And my family, I come from this uh, political family. We, we were Republicans way back oh, when. And uh, we didn't like this this vote buying. There was nothing funny about it. So yeah. that's what I've carried forth. And working with the clerks today, we've cleaned that up. I saw a documentary once that interviewed some people involved with that Kennedy campaign. They actually used like Cessnas. They would fly into small towns on airstrips to deliver the bags. It was transported by air, which is also a unique part of the story. So you come to office in 2016. I worked for a secretary of state in South Carolina that was in a similar situation in 94. He shows up in the office. It had been like a 25-year incumbent. Uh, um, and it was something else for him. I don't know. What was it like for you, and what did you do about it? Well, the good thing was is the clerks wanted me in there. They wanted to clean this up. All right, It, it, it had been 40, 50 years since the John Kennedy thing. That that lasted for a couple decades where it was funny and there were jokes made and so forth. And then people started taking it serious. I think about the time that uh, the Al Gore uh, Bush mm -hmm. uh, you know, right. campaign, uh, when he basically started this war on fossil fuels and so on. And West Virginia is an energy state, energy producing state. And we started to look at things through a different lens. And so at that point, we started voting for Republicans uh, at the presidential level, but we still had Robert C. Byrd and mm -hmm. Joe Manchin and these folks, Rockefeller. That, uh, Rockefeller, John mm -hmm. D. Rockefeller, exactly, and um, who came to West Virginia for the same reason John Kennedy did with the satchels full of money because that could be very influential in the political realm. So um, we started to change at the presidential level, started looking at things differently. And by 2014, that's when we took over the House. That's the Republicans, the conservatives. See, West Virginia has always been a conservative state, a religious state, hardworking people. So, But there was a disconnect between the politics of the Democratic Party and this, what has now become a very progressive, radical uh, ideology is driving the politics. It, it, that's contrary to the people and the, the conservative values that we have. So now what you have is, is this realigning in West Virginia of the people with the politics, with the party, with the principles. All these things are starting to line up. 
So in 2014, the conservatives took the House of Delegates. In 2016, they took the, the state Senate. Now, we elected a Democrat governor, but a year later, he switched from Democrat mm -hmm. to Republican. Right. So now uh, we're ready for a conservative Republican to get all of those aligned, the House, the Senate, the governorship. And, and at the same time, we've elected some conservative Supreme Court members as well. So uh, West Virginia is now on the cusp of doing some great things. I saw that the West Virginia House is 90 to 10 Republican. It, it's 88 to oh, 88 okay. to 12. And you're, you're right. And it could be moving in that direction. And the only Democrats seem to come from Morgantown and Charleston, and there's one in Huntington. And you're I right. couldn't find a Democrat from any other part of the state. And for those of you who don't know, Morgantown <laughs> is WVU, Huntington is Marshall, and <laughs> Kanawha County is the state capital. It was unbelievable. With, with the Charleston Gazette, which right. has always been a very liberal uh, paper. So you're absolutely correct. And over on the Senate side, it's 31 of 34 senators. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, I, yeah, I didn't even is. look at that one. And I think that may go even further. Oh, that's funny. To, to and, and let me guess, is the three senators from Kanawha County, uh, uh, Morgantown, and, and Huntington, or is there a different pattern? Uh, there's a little okay. different, but uh, no, it's it's been a dramatic change. I'm talking eight years is all it has taken to, right. to make this this move. But uh, that's what Obama's war on coal. You may remember when Hillary Clinton made the comment, we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal businesses out of or out of business. Um, and came into Logan and people told Joe Manchin and her, don't come in here and do that. And she did it anyway. And that's what <laughs> right. caused the state to flip. So back to when you took office, I, uh, and my experience as a young lawyer, when, when Secretary of State Jim Miles was his name, took office in South Carolina, there were a lot of people who worked there on government salaries that kind of thought they had a lifetime entitlement, that they should always be paid by other people to do bureaucratic work. Did you encounter something similar and did you do anything about it? I, I did, it, it, where people think they're entitled to these government jobs and that they don't have to work. You know, the, the joke, you know, well, you got a state job, so you don't really have to produce anything. And that's just complete uh, contrary to my way of thinking and the way Republican uh, conservative uh, principles are. And we like to run business the way businessmen run their businesses, their companies. And you don't keep somebody around just because uh, whatever. And in the worst case that I had, I physically, I went through the office and as I did, I had one lady look up at me and said, you can't do anything about me. I'm your token. I was flabbergasted. I was absolutely flabbergasted. She'd been there for 49 years. People, she didn't know how to work on computer. She wouldn't answer the phone. They wouldn't let her do customer relations. But this was an African-American woman, and she thought she was just entitled to this job. And that's just one example. I had other examples of people who actually were being investigated by the Capitol Police for dealing drugs out of the Secretary of State's office. Okay. Now, that one I've never heard before. It's this is what I was looking at as I came into this office. We had women who were reporting money being stolen out of their purses in the Secretary of State's office. I said, I'm not going to put up with that. We're going to clean this up, this up. And so that's exactly what I did. You just reminded me, when I was at the Justice Department, in the United States Department of Justice, we had a rash of thievery out of people's offices from inside the department. I, and, it, and you can't think of the morale issues you have and always looking over your shoulder and, and wondering what's going on. Well, once I'd cleaned this up, I'd gotten uh, rid of those people, then I can leave my office and, and go to a school to talk voter registration, that sort of thing. And I'm not having to watch over my back and worry what's going on back at the office. We've got people, we're working with about 20% fewer people in the Secretary of State's office today than when I came in. Okay, so and you're doing more. Government. And we're doing more. Right. People are happier. They're working harder. And I'm able to pay them more. Okay, when you take those folks off, you can pay your current employees more. Everybody's happier. 
we've heard nothing but just kudos from the, yeah. the clients, the people who come in and use the services. Hey, this office has changed. You answer the phone, you greet people with a smile, you take care of our problems. Right. And uh, so it, it's a joy to work there. I, I've absolutely loved this job and the people that work there are fun to be with because uh, we know we're doing something for the people of West Virginia. And uh, the people, the the lawyers and the people that use the office uh, just continue to rain praises upon us for the, this change. So I, that's what I want to take this attitude from the Secretary of State's office more to statewide level. Right. And for those of you not in government who are listening, you have to understand what you just described is the exception. That doesn't usually happen in government where somebody comes in and cleans house. And I said, I would venture to say that a lot of people want that to happen in places like Washington, where <laughs> Wouldn't you know, it, be nice? it just doesn't seem to ever happen where no one's held accountable. So the office is running better. West Virginia elections now are completely different than they were 10 years ago. I can attest to that. Uh, and uh, I assume you have a good team in place that shares your vision and- we do, and I, I always like to give credit, one, to the clerks, the hardworking clerks. We've, And this is, I still think, I, I don't know specifically who's Republican and Democrat right, out there right. in the clerks, but I'm, I'm confident, I think we still may have more Democrat clerks than we do Republican, although the state is changing. That doesn't matter to me, and it, it doesn't matter to the clerks. We all see things, our job is simply run free, fair, clean elections. It's not to elect a certain person or party and that sort of thing. So I like to give credit to the clerks, but I also like to give to the credit to the state legislature. The legislature has done a wonderful job in West Virginia of balancing access with security. And so I'm talking the laws that they produce so that um, the voter ID was a, a big issue a few years back. And so they came up with a voter ID law. Uh, now we don't have photo ID. A lot of conservatives would like to have a more stringent uh, photo ID requirement, but our legislature came up with there about 18 different forms of IDs that you can use, electric bills or anything that proves your residency and that you live where you say you do and that sort of thing. Um, and, and with a couple of exceptions in there that if the poll worker knows you personally and so forth, you don't have to necessarily, but people generally want to show that ID. Right. They want to show this is who I am. So we haven't had any issues with the voter ID law. Um, Absentee ballots. West Virginia is one of about 16 or 17 states that require you to have a reason to vote in absentee. Right. We're not a no excuse absentee state. And I like that because this legislature has defined 11 specific reasons, you know, a medical excuse or serving overseas in the military or going on business. And you have to check that block and it, that can be verified. If somebody wants to challenge that absentee vote, they can challenge it and the clerk can go back and investigate and see were you actually out of state on election day and that sort of thing. So that's where I'm talking about access, we're going to make it easy for you to vote, but we're going to make it hard for you to cheat. We're going to make it um, so that your reason for voting absentee can be verified. And so I like that balance between right. the two. And I think when you strike that balance, the same thing goes with early voting. Early voting, people like that early voting, but we don't need 30 days of early voting or 45, okay? Seven to 10 days uh, is, is just fine. And West Virginia has 10 days of early voting. Now, there's also a question, when does that begin and when does it end? We like to get two Saturdays in there. So those sorts of things can be debated, but when you balance those two components, we want to give people access to the polls, but you also want to have a security component to it. And I think West Virginia has done a nice job of balancing those. And this whole issue is coming up before the Supreme Court. It's already been argued. It's the Moore v. Harper case right. out of North Carolina. Didn't you have a brief in that, your state? I think we may have right. joined in on that. At least I know that I offered that right. we were in. And, and what, what's at issue here is the independent state legislature principle, and that is, Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says the time, place, and manner of elections shall be left to the state legislature. 
not to the Secretary of State, not to the governor, not to the Supreme Attorney General, or, or not to the courts. Yeah. And that's the issue. What the Democrats have done over and over again, as we saw in the 2020 election, whether it's Pennsylvania or Georgia or whatever, they've gotten a consent decree through the court to change the laws right. that didn't go through the legislative process. And so it's contrary to Article One, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution that the legislature should make those rules. So this is, case has been argued in front of the Supreme Court. We're waiting for an answer. Hopefully our conserv uh, the conservatives on the Supreme Court will uphold this principle. And that is, once a legislature says, like in Pennsylvania, that the ballots shall be in at the close of business, or the close of the polls on election day, you can't come up with an independent consent decree and say, we're gonna accept them three days after, which is what they did in the 2020 election. And that's part of what's caused so much division in America is people changing the rules in the middle of an election and accepting ballots outside the law. Right. When they use drop boxes, when they use, to accept ballots after the what the legislature said the time frame is. So I wanna get back to this where the states determine the laws and the rules, and that it's our job in the executive branch as Secretary of State to execute those laws, not to make up our own rules. Yeah, I think most Americans will agree with you. I like to say, if you want the loser to accept the results of an election, play by the rules. Exactly. That's why we have rules. So there's consent of the government by both sides after an election. Right. So, and, and, and so if Oregon or Washington want to send out ballots by mail, that's their job, that's their, their history, their custom. That doesn't work in West Virginia. We talked about the fraud that had occurred back in the 60 election and, and in other elections. We don't want that in West Virginia. We like to vote on election day. Jimmy Carter, uh, I think it was Howard Baker, after the 2000 election, the hanging chad election in uh, you know, Florida and all the consternation about it, they did a report, the Baker-Carter Commission, and they said the most secure form of voting is on election day, going to a precinct under the watchful eyes of trained observers from both parties and casting your ballot in person. That's the most secure. And what was the most insecure form? Mail. Voting by mail. Right. Okay. And right. what's the whole progressive movement trying to do? Oh, it's vote by mail. Send out ballots. Automatically. Michelle Bachman, okay, presidential candidate. A few years. She got, I think it was eight different ballots sent to her house. Now, think of the opportunities for fraud there. She said she, she was confident that she could have filled those out and sent them in, and who knows whether they've been counted or not. But let's not give people that opportunity. That's where I'm saying easy to vote, but let's make right. it hard to cheat. So you're running for governor of West Virginia. Yes. And I have been amazed. I'm a WVU graduate. I, I go to West Virginia on family vacations, Hardy County, Timberline, Cheat Lake, all these places. I, I love the state. Um, there's great people there. I mean, seriously great people. And what has happened politically? I know we talked a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the energy issue. Is that, do you think that's what has flipped that state culturally? The fact that a whole bunch of people want to stop extracting this blessed resource that's laying underground that can fuel this nation? Or is there something else going on? There, there are a number of factors going on. You mentioned the people. There's also great beauty, just great yeah. opportunities, great outdoors. And that's what today's generation want is they want that out side living, clean uh, right. air, clean air, clean water, getting out on the bike trails, hiking. I know my, I have a daughter and uh, several grandchildren uh, and her husband, they like to go hiking, okay? And what better place to hike than West Virginia? There's a place called Dolly Sods. It's one of the most beautiful places on the East Coast that I go, I go up to. It's like at almost 4,000 feet. Actually, it's above 4,000 feet in some places. And it's a real uh, geological anomaly yeah. with uh, ice underneath the right. ground and stuff. It, it's really very neat. So I'm, I'm glad you let people know about this, this wonderful beauty. But there's also change in the attitude in West Virginia. So as I talked about the House and Senate uh, taking over, it gave us an opportunity to start changing the laws 
in West Virginia to make it truly more business friendly. Uh -huh. So what I'm talking okay. about is uh, the right, it, we became a right to work state. I think we were one of the ones that put us over oh, wow. nationwide more towards right to work opportunities. And where that's important is you have, we just, the last year was the year of announcements. We had six or seven huge companies that landed in West Virginia. In nationwide competition, they picked West Virginia. And why was that? Well, one of the questions that Nucor, which is a huge steel, steel manufacturing, right. uh, one of the first questions they ask is, are you a right to work That's state? Incredible. Had we not been able to answer yes to that, they would have taken us off the list and, and looked elsewhere. So right to work, prevailing what prevailing wage. We got rid of prevailing wage, okay? So we made the, the uh, opportunity to compete much more uh, lucrative to right. uh, businesses. You can build at much less cost uh, when you bring in a new manufacturing plant and so forth. Um, the court system became, uh, we came off the judicial hell, hell hole. West Virginia right. used to be the place That's where right. people would Natural. try to come and sue because yeah. of the court system. So, so that has changed. Uh, paycheck protection. Uh, there are a number of things that we've put in place, and now we're, we're being looked at not only for our people and the beauty, but the competitive workplace. Yeah. And so those are the type of things that uh, I want to continue uh, to do, and, and then I'll bring in one more, and that's COVID. We were the last state yeah. in the nation to report a case of, of COVID. And so we are somewhat isolated with the mountains and everything. And so if people want to get away from it all, our national parks have been book solid. I mean, the minute it opens up for people to register to get a, a site at the national parks in West Virginia, those spaces fill up. They, like you, they want to get away to Hardy yeah. County. Uh, I've never seen so many deer as, as I've seen. <laughs> yeah, if, you, right. if you want to hunt, uh, West Virginia is the place to come. If you like to fish, we, we have it all. Well, you know, it, it's funny you uh, you mention uh, right to work. If you, I, I, I lived in the 70s. If you had told me in 1978 that West Virginia was going to become a right to work state, I mean, I think Richard Trump was like a, a shadow governor in that state. Exactly. Yeah, with the United Mine Workers. And here we are. Well, and what Obama's war on coal has That's done right. is he's driven a lot of coal miners out of the state. They've lost their jobs. They had to go elsewhere to find uh, employment. Now, it's rebounding a little bit in, in West Virginia. The price of coal has gone up. So we're trying to – we're an all-energy state, okay, whether it's above ground, below ground. We want it all. Um, and, and that's the sort of governor that, that I will be is in uh, trying to entice all of those businesses into coming. But we certainly we are not ready to cut off fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas, simply with an arbitrary date and say right. by 2030 or 2050, we're going to do what? No, let the marketplace decide which energy sources uh, prevail. It, it's ludicrous for us to be shutting down coal plants in China building, you know, 10 times, uh, right. you know, we're all in the same global uh, globe together. Uh, why kill ourselves and our people? And it, it is really, if you haven't been back to Southern West Virginia in a while, there are eight counties down there that are depression era economics. McDowell County itself has gone from 120,000 people to 18,000 people, wow. lost over 100,000 people. Now you think about that, if you're a property owner there, if you're trying to run a hospital or a school, you're just trying to sell your land. It's depression era economics, it's very sad. And we've got to do something to turn that around and maintaining uh, West Virginia as a resource. We're sitting on top of the Marcellus Shale, the Utica Shale, we've got gas. One county in West Virginia, Tyler County, little old Tyler County up there close to the uh, Ohio River is going to produce 3% of the world's natural gas this next year. One county. Okay, think about that. So that's the op the economic opportunity that we're sitting on. We used to be a timbering state, a coal state. We're sitting on top of this uh, oil and gas. Let's use it. We can burn this cleaner. We can do, through innovation, we can make clean energy. 
but let's not just write off fossil fuels simply because it sounds good. And by the way, where are you to get the energy for the electric vehicles anyway? Right. You burn coal right. or gas. You, it's a, uh, a facade thinking that, oh, I run an electric vehicle, so I'm not uh, you know, harming the environment. It all comes from the same base energy, and that's coal, oil, and gas. So unlike people in the Biden administration, I take it you don't want to ban gas stoves. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Think of the ludicrous right. uh, positions they take. It's, right. it's just crazy where they've gone. Well, listen, we've been on with Mac Warner, Secretary of State of West Virginia. Thank you very much. I'd like to say one of the best two secretaries of state in the country. <laughs> and I can't think of who the other one is. <laughs> Christian, so, it's been great being with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the great thing in the great state of uh, West Virginia. Thanks. Is. You've been listening to Protecting Your Vote. I'm Christian Adams, president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Join us next time. We'll have guests coming up like Cord Bird, the Secretary of State of Florida. Also, James O'Keefe on tap. So stay tuned. You're listening to Protecting Your Vote.